Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. Mind your business with the breakfast huddle only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Barty Jackdish and Ryan Huang with you. Now, with the influx of technology in our lives, especially since COVID-19, I think we might have forgotten about segments of the population that may not have access to technology. So technology is everywhere, but how fair is its distribution and use? Hmm, interesting. So I, I guess, you know, dynamic systems such as uh, schoolyards mm-hmm. or the internet economy or human immunology, they are not the most conducive environments. And this means the technology sector has to kind of work, I don't know, work a bit harder in mm. order to, to do what's fair. Mm. And see, we can get to that space of equity. Yeah? <laughs> the reach for fairness by the tech sector actually is less a matter of dispute than of root. That seems to be kind of the theme now, right? I mean, even when we talk about access to vaccines, for mm. instance. Mm. So <laughs> in this case, so much happening in the world of tech what exactly can be done to make it better for everyone? Well, Access Partnership is a firm that is on a mission to spread fair tech. And in their latest efforts, the company has integrated Alpha Beta. It's a Singapore-based strategy and economics consultancy. Well, let's find out more on the line with us this morning is Greg Francis, Managing Director for Access Partnerships. Greg, good morning. How are you? Good morning to all of you. Very well. So tell us a little bit more about the company Access Partnerships. From what we understand, it's one of the world's leading public policy policy firms dedicated to opening markets for technology. Yes, it's a mouthful. Um, We're building the world's biggest advisory firm on tech issues. And from last month, uh, we're certainly the biggest in in Singapore. So that means the governments and companies seek us out because we believe uh, in the value of technology, but not necessarily as an unconditional matter. And uh, day to day, that means that Uh, We work to get technology out into the marketplace so it can do the good things it needs to do for everybody, but do that on a fair basis and and not just benefit a few countries or a few lucky citizens. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes requires us to change policy and and law and regulation because, as we all know, none of that can really keep up with the speed of tech itself. Mm, I'm sure one of the biggest issues is the digital divide, right? It's not uh, benefiting everyone in the same way, technology in general. So talk to us about how you define a fair tech policy, what would all of that entail, really? That's a a good question, and it's probably not one that's asked uh, often enough, so I I appreciate it. I think fairness sounds a little nebulous to a lot of people, Mm. but you also know it when you see it, right? And it it looks something like a situation where technology is used in a a positive way, in a way that stakeholders trust, in a way that they're not angry about, or, or for which they're not constantly trying to renegotiate the terms of use. So to that extent, a fairness standard, at least uh, as it applies to tech, is pretty universal. And I think the the challenge that we have is we don't want to assume that a government perspective is automatically a fair one, right? Governments are not good at foretelling what the effects of technology will be. So they don't necessarily lead opinion in this this area. And, you know, if if we agree that tech is pretty much a force for good, and we can argue about certain malign applications here and there, but... You know, if it's mostly used for good, it means that it's used to expedite macro growth, to increase inclusion, make quality of life improvements, and so on. So there's a, there's a clear understanding, I think, at least on our side, of what fairness looks like when, when it's implemented. I'm struggling to come up with this next question, Greg, but just listening to you describe it, I, I love it. It sounds like, you know, a, a future like Star Trek where everything is fair and it's mm-hmm. all about the betterment of man, right? 
But how do we get here? How do we come to a point where we are trying to focus on making sure that tech is fair? What does that say for people? What how, what are the implications for companies that are really all about trying to churn a profit then? Well, it's a fair question. I mean, some of the most difficult conversations we have are not necessarily with government or non-governmental stakeholders, but with the companies themselves who you know, ultimately have created this great thing and they're surprised when the marketplace doesn't necessarily embrace it with both hands and with the same zeal that they think it deserves. You know, yeah. they, they kept their head down, they've done a good job, they produced a, a product or a service that really is transformative, but not everybody is, is as chuffed about it and, and there are skeptics. And so that conversation is one where corporates have to understand that they're going to need to dial back on the way in which they introduce tech into the markets to make sure that the terms are stable, long-lasting, and that everybody buys into them. Mm. I mean, uh, lately we have seen several big tech companies in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons, for exploiting users, for collecting and using user data in a way that I think a lot of people are aghast about yeah, when they find out. But they continue mm-hmm. using all of these platforms because it seems like there is very little choice if you want to stay plugged into the world. And brands continue to advertise on these platforms as well for more of the same reasons, right? So when it comes to applying a fair tech policy in the world that we already have, the status quo, which seems already quite damaged, how, how to navigate something like that? Well, I, I think you know, navigating it isn't so, so difficult as making sure that, it, that all stakeholders buy into it. You know, we've invested in Singapore because uh, of so much of the talent that recognizes fairness is necessary. Um, I think a lot of companies have invested in Singapore for the same reason, uh, because the, the, the talent won't wear uh, sort, of, sort of all or nothing arrangement uh, you know, in terms of the services that they sell, that, they, that, that the talent base uh, in, in the country wants to make sure that there are more sustainable terms for, for this tech to be used. But navigating isn't so difficult uh, when you consider that there can be international standards that are created and uh, individual countries have only to adopt those standards and, and normalize them uh, in their own jurisdiction. So there, there are ways forward. It just takes a lot of work. And that's why Firms that have multinational approaches tend to be able to help companies get there faster. Greg, you talk about there has to be a way forward. Then my question would be, where does Singapore stand in all this in your perspective? Uh, Where are we at in terms of promoting or, well, practicing fair tech? Well, uh, you've done a really fine job in Singapore of making sure that we don't have to, I think, flatter the government in any way. They very deliberately set out to, to build a tech hub in the country. So it's natural that companies like ours come and invest there. Uh, and that's what other big tech firms in Asia have done. So you know, to, to the previous question, Singapore provides not just a talent base, but also a, a point of departure for the rest of the region. And there's lots of competition. And I think that's where the, the, the real answer to the fairness question comes in. It's in, it's in places like Singapore, from which uh, companies like you know Grab or C can uh, make a, a real impact in, in the region and globally, uh, and creates proper competition that inserts fairness into the uh, ecosystem you know, to some of the, the larger players in the, the online e-commerce space, 
in you know, mobility, in, in gaming, and so on. Just uh, so Asia really is a, a challenger brand in many ways for, for big tech. If you don't mind, do you think it's because Singapore doesn't have natural resources and, and uh, there has been talk of a lack of talent, so there's this need to engage from overseas, to talk to people overseas. Do you think it's that mindset that puts us in this position to, to achieve what you just talked about in terms of fair tech? I think vulnerable countries uh, of any size, you know, strategically vulnerable countries of any size find greater security in links and investment links in you know, talent links and so on. So I, I think that's a, a natural a natural course of action for, for a city state. Yes. So talk to us about what a fair tech policy looks like, both for governments and corporates. What are the main ingredients? Well, I think that's sort of the obverse of what I was talking about. So, you know, you, everybody buys into it. Um, it's measurable, ideally. So, you know, we made this acquisition in Alpha Beta because we really needed to be able to show plainly why a policy change is a, is a best option. Uh, and, you know, that requires measurement. So, you know, if you're a decision maker and you're faced with two options of a policy, it, wouldn't it be nice to know which one will say, you know, drive more investment in women-owned businesses or which one will add $500 billion to your GDP rather, or, you know, $1 trillion to your GDP. This is the kind of measurements that are necessary in order to make sure that governments understand what good policy looks like and, you know, what fairness across their community and constituencies would look like. And we need to be able to show this since any company with an e-commerce proposition or transporter data flow or a smart anything meter or use of AI or you know, a company with mobility features, they all need that kind of advice at some point. And we, we want to be able to show them the answer uh, both in policy terms and in numbers. And, you know, the more you can quantify stuff, the more you, the closer you can get to fairness. Interesting. I am curious also, I mean, with regard to the acquisition of Alpha Beta, I mean, based on this, are, are you planning more business acquisitions in future? And, and how else can Alpha Beta benefit access partnerships? Well, we're certainly planning more acquisitions. We've, we've made two in, in Singapore in the last year, uh, so really just in the last nine months. So we're doubling down on investment in the talent in, in that uh, country. Um, and now we have the biggest tech advisory practice there. So it's, it's no accident that we continue to look. You know, it, it's difficult. A company like ours is always faced with a strategic decision. Do you go for individual markets and you know, invest in acquisitions that secure, say, your, your primacy in, in my, maybe Vietnam or in Thailand? Or do you uh, increase the depth of your bench and really double down on what's needed in the tech sector, which is your know, deep expertise in areas like cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, mobility, and so on. And we, we parse through those uh, regularly. But for now, I think in the, in the Asian theater, it's going to be Singapore that will be our base of operations and, and we'll be uh, increasing the, the depth of our bench, such as we have now with Alpha Beta and, and the econometrics econ that they provide. Mm. Moving forward, how are you planning to get more people on board you know, to buy into this idea, to actually knuckle down and come up with fair tech policy and practices. I'm sure you still have to make a business case for it, right? So how do you continue to get people on board? I think the business case is there, actually. If you consider what a company faces, you know, you're a multinational company, you're, you're selling the service, whatever it is, and market by market, segment by segment, you have to negotiate new rules almost on a yearly basis because if they're unfair, they're unstable and people will try and, and, and renegotiate the terms of use. So the cost of doing that is so significant that 
it almost drives companies naturally to a more holistic solution. The question is, what does a holistic solution look like? And there, believe it or not, in the tech space, there are multilateral solutions. There are ways of creating standards and norms and codes of conduct that can be universalized, well, if not universalized, at least widely adopted across the globe, so that tech companies have to live up to certain standards, governments have to provide certain access terms in return for those standards, and it functions a little bit like a most favored nation, you know, a trade relationship might have done uh, in the old days. But it is possible, and, and I think we shouldn't lose faith that Multilateralism, even though a lot of people have uh, lost a taste for it in the last few years, it has value in harmonizing and bringing uh, parties to the table to create that sort of stable regulatory and policy solution that that spells out fairness in the end. Mm, Yeah, especially while we continually look at the governance aspects of things, there is also the ethics aspects of things as seen uh, with how Twitter has had to handle things, just as one example. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, Twitter and and Instagram, you know, even more recently, a lot of companies of that stripe have been calling for more regulation by governments. And governments are kind of hamstrung. They say, okay, we we need to regulate, but we don't quite know how. And so it it kind of spells out a world where those parties don't know how to to specifically solve the problem, where they come to the table and and maybe build a, a construct where, you know, each gives a little, and that tends to be what the multilateral space is best at. And, and that's something that we intend to drive as a company and what mm. a lot of our clients uh, are, are leaning towards as a solution overall. All right. Hopefully this will put an end to everyone trying to play catch up with each other. Many thanks, Greg, for joining us this morning. We've been speaking with Greg Francis, Managing Director, Access Partnerships. You have a great day, yeah, Greg? Great pleasure. And you. Be well. Bye-bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.